is your God. We give you glory. We give you praise. I am desperate for a touch of heaven. We are desperate for a touch of heaven. Let that be your cry this evening. We are desperate for a touch of heaven. We are desperate for a touch of heaven. We just want you, Lord. We are desperate for a touch of heaven. And all we want is to live within your love. Be undone by who you are. Our desire is to know you deeper. Lord, we will open up again. Throw our fears into the wind. We are desperate for a touch of heaven. Oh, 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 and all we want is to live within your love. Be undone by who you are. Our desire is to know you deeper. Lord, we will open up again and throw our fears into the wind. We are desperate for a touch of heaven. Lord, all we want is you. Lord, all we desire is you, God. Lord, you are one thing. You are what our soul longs for. You are what our soul thirsts for. And so, Lord, that's our prayer this evening. As we gather today in your presence, we thank you, Holy Spirit, because you are here. We thank you, King of Glory, Jesus, because you are here. You're here to meet with us. You are here for us to encounter you. You are here, oh God, to teach us your word this evening. And Lord, we ask, oh God, Lord, as we commit this Bible study to you, Lord, that you teach us. Holy Spirit, you are the best teacher. You are the best teacher. And so we submit ourselves this evening to your teaching and to your leading. And Lord, we ask, oh God, that Lord, at the end of the day, let your name be glorified. Jesus, we want to see you lifted high above any other because you, Lord, reign above it all. We give you glory. We give you praise. We honor you, King Jesus. You are our one thing. All the glory, praise, and adoration be unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. This is an awesome day. Um. Thank you, everyone, for coming to Bible study this evening. Um, thank you for those joining us online. Um, I trust that you'll be blessed as we dive into our study of the book of James. 
Um, so those of you who know, we're a pastor is away this weekend on the ministry trip. Um, he's landed safely in Tanzania, and I'm sure he's sending his greetings to everybody. So we bless God for that. Um, so this week, we are halfway through our study of the book of James. This is part five. So it's a 10-week series, and this week is part five. But before I dive into the topic for today, um, which is the relationship between faith and works, I just wanted to see if one or two people wanted to share with us their main takeaway from last week. So last week, um, it was part four of our study. Pastor Bimbor led us in that study. She did an amazing job. We trust God for what he did. We bless God for what he did through her. The title was Warning Against Favoritism. And it was such a lively, lively commentary and discussion last week on favoritism. One of my best comments that someone made online because I was joining online was, God has favorites and I'm his favorite. (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's me. If God were to have favorite, Norma Olivia Iwurum is definitely God's favorite. I said, I thought that was funny. Uh, But what is anyone, just one or two people, maybe I'll take one person online. And I'll take one person here uh, joining us physically in the sanctuary. What would you say is your one big takeaway from the Bible study series last week? Again, it was uh, part four of the series. We looked at James 2 verse 1 to 12. And the topic was warning against favoritism. Anyone's main takeaway? Anything to share with us? Be from the discussion or for something that was said or a verse in the scripture. We can't have Pastor Bimbo do her own takeaway. Oh, okay, Randy. Okay. <laughs> oh, love. Oh, okay, yeah. Love is the central theme of the scripture. Thanks, Randy. By default, we can always fall in love. The, the, whole, the whole Bible is a love story, really. So thank you, Randy, for that. At least he shared a contribution. Um, anybody else in the house? And I'll take one person online. What's your, what's your main or favorite takeaway from the study last week? Anybody? You know the joy. Oh, yeah, here we go. We have a sister here. Thank you uh, for helping us with the mic this evening. Look at this. Thank you. I think for me, the one thing that I took away from last week and last week was always trust in God. Mm. Mm. Make sure that we're seeing things with the way God sees it. Not the That's, way beautiful. God sees it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, sis. That was lovely. Yeah. See people the way that God sees them. See them with the lens of Jesus. And that's the continuously check your heart. And that's one of the best ways to guard yourself against favoritism. Because, you know, without unconsciously, sometimes it sips in, you know. You come and look at a person, you have a preconceived notion, either because of the way they look, the what you've heard about them, what society expects a particular person who looks that way to be. But it takes a God-minded spirit. It takes a God-minded individual to choose to put any of that aside and say, I'm going to see you the way Jesus sees you with love. Um, thank you for that. Um, anybody online? Um, otherwise, we'll move on to our study for this week. Uh, wait for our online audience for a second. Um, if you are just joining us online, remember to download the outline. The links are on both our Facebook and our YouTube pages. Links on where to download the item from, the outline from, so that you are able to participate and follow along with us in this study. So part five, right? James 2, James 2 verse 14 to 26, the relationship between faith and works. This is such, this is an interesting one, you know. 
um, just because over the years in Christianity, there's been so much back and forth within this topic um, in terms of what faith is, what works is, in relationship to what James was speaking in this particular text of scripture, in relationship to, is this contradicting something Paul said, or maybe it's not, or do I really not understand it? So um, my prayer is that by the time we are done with the study, that really the Holy Spirit would just make this word alive in our hearts, and so there is no confusion, and we'll, we'll move forward with really what God wants us to hear um, about what he's saying in this text. So I'll read the introduction. I'm still waiting for someone online to give me a summary. I'm coming back to whoever online, but don't, I'm moving on, but I'm waiting to get a summary. So I know that our online audience took something away also from last week, because that's the goal, you know? Every time you teach, you can ask any teacher, your goal is that your students, the people who you're teaching, the people who you're leading, not only are they hearing, they're remembering, and also applying it into their daily lives. So, but we'll move on with introduction while we wait for someone online to comment on that. So the relationship between faith and works, I'll read the introduction and then we'll go on from there. Um, later on, we'll read our main text. So the relationship between faith and works is probably one of the most quoted verses in the book of James. Um, a verse in there that says, faith without works is dead. This statement has also been used to advocate for works as a gateway to salvation. Um, some Christians believe that they must work their way to heaven, meaning that after they get saved, their contingency on getting to heaven is dependent on the works that they do here on earth. In other words, the better they do, the higher their chances are of getting into heaven. While some others believe that faith is enough, that once you have faith in Jesus, that's it. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's all that matters. So in this study, our goal is to discuss what faith is. We'll talk about the definition of works as it relates to spiritual context and the relationship between the two, which is faith and works, and to talk about what is required or which of them or if both of them is required for salvation. Amen. So that's pretty, that's just a nice summary of the, the goal of this session of this Bible study in uh, part five of this series. So let's dive into faith, right? Um, if I were to ask anybody, what is faith? Um, using your own words, probably everyone would quote Hebrews 11 verse 1. <laughs> but I will still ask, what is faith using your own words? I read the Bible definition of faith, um, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Uh, is faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what we have in our outline is simply put, faith means relying completely on what Jesus is and what he has done to be made right with God. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Any additional definitions of what we think faith is? When we talk about faith, what are some of the other words or synonyms that can come to mind? And what is faith? Everyone remembers the popular verse in Hebrews that says, Without faith... Hebrews 11, 6, it's impossible to please God for everyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what is faith? Hebrews 11, 1, I, th I don't think you can get any better definition, actually, than what the Bible says faith is. That's a, but then when you define it, it's more saying, what does it mean to me? In my own words, like when I think about faith, I don't go quoting Hebrews 11, 1. Well, some people are like, Bible, <laughs> the Bible just flows out of your tongue, just like that. But when you think about faith, most times you don't go quoting Hebrews 11, 1. Or when you're explaining faith to a non-believer, what do you say faith is? Anybody, any thoughts on that? 
And it's important to define faith and talk a little bit more about it. So when we talk about works and the relationship between the two, we have a clear understanding of what we're talking about. So what is faith? Thanks, my sister at the back. Um, faith to me um, could be like believing without even knowing mm. what the future may hold. Or Love it. Believing and just letting it go. Believing and letting it go. Wow, I like that. Believing and not knowing what the future is. So it's not believing because you see or believing because uh, you had a sneak peek into something and so that took away your doubt or your unbelief. It's believing not necessarily without even knowing what the future. I like that definition. Thanks for sharing that. Does anyone remember the man in the scripture who Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this throughout Israel. Does anyone remember that story? Right. Who remembers the story? Could you tell us the context between that story? And what do you think faith is? Why Jesus said to that man, I have not seen faith like this throughout Israel. We can pull up that scripture real quick. But if someone remembers that, they can summarize to us, right? Pastor Kip is going to help us with that. Because, yes. <laughs> yes, uh, I believe you're referring to the centurion. Is mm -hmm. it in Matthew? get the exact scripture, yeah. but Pastor B can help us with that. So. <laughs> but uh, he encounters Jesus, his, yeah. uh, I guess one of his soldiers is, is sick, yeah. and uh, Jesus says, well, I'll go with you mm -hmm. to, you know, heal the person, and the, the guy says, you know, you don't have to go with me, yeah. you know, if you just speak the word, yeah. my... You know, will person be will be yeah. healed. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus says, wow. I mean, <laughs> you know, I haven't heard anything like yeah. that, even from the people that are supposed yeah, to believe. Yeah. And that, you know, this guy under really gets the concept. He really understands what authority means because he understood that Jesus had the authority over sickness. And it just amazed Jesus that a non, a person that really didn't understand could have that type of faith. Thank you, Pastor Amen. Kip. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was a beautiful summary of that passage. So the, Jesus was referring to the man's response to his question of, um, to his request of asking to heal his servant. You know, think about most people in the Bible that Jesus healed, right? They required a touch from him. They required his presence to be there. Even when his friend Lazarus was dead, Mary and Mark, they were waiting for Jesus to arrive at their hometown, you know, to speak a word. But this man had so much faith. He had complete and ultimate trust that what God says is what is. He had complete trust in the power and the authority that Jesus had that he said, you know what, you don't even need to come. A word is good enough. You can speak that word and the power, as soon as the word is released from your mouth, I trust that my servant will be here. I'm not calling. There was no cell phones, right? Go back and check. Okay, he spoke the word now. Is it healed? I'm just checking. Do you know Jesus? Wait, wait, wait. He, no, no, no. It seems like his fever just reduced. He need to speak another word. No, he just said, speak and go. That's really was. And Jesus responded to that and said, I have not sinned. So, so faith is also believing God at his word. Believing the very nature of who God said he is. So thank you so far for sticking with me with that. Then what is faith is an active trust in God, a belief in what he says is true, 
and faith will always result in action. So I'll talk a little bit more about the active, the action part of faith when we talk about the relationship between faith and works. So moving on. So what is faith not? What is faith not? We quoted Hebrews to say what faith is. What is faith not? What have you heard people say faith is that you're like, no, 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 no. This is not faith. This is something else that you're, you're coining up. Or this is something else you're trying to explain, but this is not faith. My sister, Sister Dominic. Um, is it like when you try to take matters into your own hands? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, sis. So faith is not saying I believe God, but then taking matters into your own hands, right? So faith, we can use the example of Abraham, who is known as the father of faith. That's what um, Hebrews, that's what uh, Paul refers to him as in Hebrews. And faith is not, yes, God, I believe you will give me a child, and through him, he will be a father of many nations, and this and this will happen according to your word, but just in case it does not happen like you said, you know, I'm going to sleep with my maid and just I so I'll have a son so that that promise could be fulfilled that way. That's definitely not faith. Any other thoughts? What is faith not? And those online, we've not seen any comments online today. What's going on? Are online folks sleeping? Usually you guys are so active. What's happening? Oh, I missed you all. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> okay, so faith is, Sister Favor said, faith is actively believing without proof. I like that. It's similar to what we said early on. Uh, faith is acting like what isn't there has already happened. Um, sister, if he says faith is the assurance that God will always deliver. I like that. Yeah. God, will, you don't necessarily need to track, you know, your package to see if it's coming. You just already know that God says he will deliver. He will deliver. I like that. Uh, what is faith not? Okay. Someone said, dear damn me boys. Oh, look at this. Our, our young adults are also participating. Uh, complete or strong belief in God. I like that. Oh, definitions. So what is faith not? Any other thoughts on what faith is not? Faith also is not trying to manipulate God through our prayers, right? Faith is not impatient. Um, faith is not wavering when you cannot see anything happening. That's, that, that's not faith. Faith is not looking at your circumstances or what's in front of you to decide whether or not you should trust. I don't know if you're raising up your hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was deciding. You know when you're lingering, whether or not you should raise up your hand or not. That, that's what faith is. Brother Maya, let's see what your thoughts are as well. I think faith is not unwise. Mm. Okay, tell me what you mean of, by that. Mm-hmm. The essence of faith without works is dead. Is is there's a wisdom to it, right? Okay. In order for you to for those works to make faith alive, there has to be wisdom behind them. Which is why earlier in James he says, "If any of you is lacking wisdom, um, ask of the Lord and you receive." And so, I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of feeling like okay, God will do it, but you're not taking action in and of itself. And I think that is unwise. And that is where we fall into the traps of a a dead faith. uh, Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Raimara. He he jumped like 15 steps ahead. I like it. Those of us who are like already ready, charged to go. Faith is not without taking action. Basically, that's what I mainly got from what you said. Um, There is an action that follows faith. Pastor Hubie had said something. can someone give him the mic, please, Pastor Hubie? And I'll read what they say online when the mic gets to him. Um, faith is not seeing the results before believing. That's not faith. That's just you saying it, right? <laughs> just seeing what happens. And faith is not manifesting. 
it must be based on the word of God. At least we're talking about faith in God. Faith in God is in accordance with the promise of God. You can't say, I have faith that someone who is already married to somebody is your husband. No, they're not. That's just witchcraft. That's not, that's not faith. It's not manipulation. It's not anything that is not based on, on what God has. Pastor Hubie. Right. I was going to say, really, I was going to say the same thing that uh, Brother Maya was said, yeah. but in a different way. In the context of James, specifically chapter 2 here, uh, faith is not merely giving the word of God mental assent. In other words, just an internal belief. Faith has a lot more, in, in the context of James, faith has a lot more to do than just giving a mental assent to the word of God. So it has to be expressed in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Hubie. Exactly. This is perfect. So faith is not just saying you believe or having it in your head that I believe. There has to be an evidence of the faith. There has to be an expression of the faith. Faith is not waiting for the results in order to believe. Thank you. Yes, yeah, someone has said that. So I want to share something. I want to hear your thoughts on that. So uh, for those of us who don't know, so I grew up in a very... Um, in a very um, faith-filled household. I was looking for a way, a way to put it. But basically, um, I'm a PK, uh, a preacher's kid. Um, and in my house, before we went into the natural for anything, we went into the supernatural first. I don't even understand what I mean. Like, in my house, you don't say I'm sick. And I mean, you eventually still get to the doctor, but the natural response, it's like, I'm sick. Oh, let's lay hands on you. That's the first thing first, before we even say, okay, let's take, like, so. And it's, 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 a, great, it's a great way to grow up because you really, I mean, as, as time and your personal, personal relationship with God and the Holy Spirit, some, some things I fine-tuned, but I really, really do thank God for my upbringing. God, God really blessed my parents. So, but I, I, I said that to give the story context, right? So, and I don't remember details because it was so long ago, but probably when I was like maybe 16 or something around that age, uh, my cousin lived with us and uh, my mom, my cousin and I, and about three other people had gathered in my house were about to go somewhere. And I don't really remember where exactly we were going, but it was somewhere that we needed to be outside and to do what we needed to do outside. And it was something that has been planned for a long time. And it was something that was important to her. That's important to us. That was the summary of what I, I, re, I remember of that. So literally, as we're about to step out, you know, everyone's about to step into the car. What happened? We look outside, it's drizzling. Mm. And we're like, okay. So my mom said, you know what? Come on, let's all just join hands. So in the living room, right before we step outside, we all drop our purses, we just join hands. And we spent a good number of minutes believing and agreeing together that there will be no rain. That's like, that's, that's normal in my household. Nobody even thinks twice about it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, that's how, um, that's what we, that's what we do. So we just, we just agree that, that, that this rain will stop and we're able to, to, um, that before we get to our destination, the rain will stop and we're able to do what we need to do. And we say, after this 10 minutes of holding our hands and really like agreeing and that this is what will happen. And then we say, amen. And what happens? My cousin dashes upstairs and she says, oh, I need to bring something. Guess what she went to bring? An umbrella. Yeah, <laughs> an umbrella. So <laughs> back in there. So today I still tease her about it. And now I have a different understanding to that scenario. But then my natural response was like, 
thinking about, think about the kind of upbringing I had, right? My natural response was, wait, wait a second. Don't you believe what we just prayed? What's, <laughs> what is the, what is the point of us just joining our hands together and agreeing if you just go directly? If you believe that there will be no rain where we go, why do you need an umbrella? I do not understand this. So I tell this story to like leap into my next question and my next segue. And I'll give some spiritual back into this. Is it possible to have some level of doubt and faith coexisting at the same time or no? Like in this situation, was she wrong for going to get the umbrella? Or do you think that she had absolutely no faith at all? Or was I wrong for calling her out and rushing to get the umbrella after we just joined our hands in agreement? And my take was like, but you, we agreed. So if, if I prayed separately, I couldn't have cared what you did. But we joined our hands in agreement. So we all have to be on the same page that it would not rain. So you definitely don't need an umbrella. So what are your thoughts? Faith and doubt. And we'll talk about, we'll open some scriptures and see, can faith and doubt coexist at the same time? What, what do you think? People are thinking about this. You don't know. You're not sure. It's okay not to, not to know. Uh, Brother Myra, what do you think? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sister Dominic first. Go ahead. I think it can. Okay. It shouldn't. Um, because if you have faith, you know it's going to happen. But sometimes people wait so long and then it doesn't happen. Then they start doubting. Mm. But sometimes you just have to be patient. Mm. Okay. Thank you. I like that. Thanks. Any other thoughts? Can faith and doubt coexist at the same time? I'm going to read the scripture as we get. Oh, we still haven't got into text. Okay, so, go ahead. I, and I have to look at it from like two points, right? For one, uh-huh. I think the fact that Jesus says, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, mm-hmm. the fact that your faith can vary in size, I guess, mm. for like a better term, means mm. that there, the other part of that that takes up that space is some level of doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for there to be varying degrees of faith. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, especially in the situation of like the umbrella story, um, I think that faith also doesn't deviate from God's plans, right? Okay. You might have prayed as much as you want, but if it's God's plan that it rains that day, maybe there's some farmer somewhere who needs that <laughs> rain to fall. You know what I mean? There's so many things that we don't understand about the works of God. So I think you can, and I think that even the umbrella in that case is not necessarily doubt. It mm. could be from a, maybe for her it was doubt. Yeah. Right? I don't know her like that. But like the second after the, you finish yeah. praying? Okay. <laughs> but for me, the way I see it yeah. is that I, I have faith that you're listening, God, but I also have faith that you're going to do what you're going to do. Yeah. So that in and of itself is not doubt. I think that's a different level of faith or looking at it from a different standpoint. So, so I, I hear you, and I don't want to deviate out of this outline, but I, I hear what you're saying. I think you're talking about, to some degree, um, about the sovereignty of God, that God can decide to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. But at the same time, um, so we don't pray and say, um, Lord, this is not your plan. So we pray as long as it's according to the scripture and the will of God. And so, but so I, I see where you're going with that. But I'll, I'll put that in the parking lot for now and hear other thoughts. And I'll come back to what you're saying. Yeah. And you said, something that you said was so crucial, key, actually. So Jesus talking about faith at little as a mustard seed could say that faith can vary in degrees, right? You can have small faith. You can have large faith. Today you have big. Today small. Tomorrow in the middle. Who knows what's going on? Um, I'll read a script. If anybody didn't raise up their hand, I'll read a scripture um, in the interest of time. So this is Mark versus 
Time just always flies. I don't know how. Mark uh, chapter 9, and then I'm going to read from verse um, 21. So this was a boy who was possessed with an evil spirit that came to Jesus. And they brought this boy to Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm reading from the NLT version, Mark 9, this is from 21. How long has this been happening? Um, Jesus asked the boy's father. He said, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. In verse 23, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asks. Anything is possible if a person believes. And then the father, look at the father's response. It's interesting. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So in some translations will say, I believe, but help me overcome my doubt. So this is a classic example of faith and doubt coexisting at the same time. Because the reality is, I'll just make this point and I'll, I'll move on. So the reality is everyone at some point in their Christian journey will experience some type of doubt. Not necessarily doubt in who God is, but sometimes doubt in what he's spoken over your life. Doubt over a promise he's made. Doubt over the fact that he wants to see you live in prosperity, live in good health. Doubt over some of the purposes and plans that he has for you or your family. Even think about the person we call the father of faith, right? Abraham. Um, I won't read the scripture, I'll just paraphrase. So Genesis 17 verse 17. When God told Abraham about the promise, what was the first thing he did? He laughed. He laughed and said, God, how can this be, right? Right? And Sarah also, when she heard about it, also, I think her lifetime was on skies, <laughs> was like times 10 with the way the scripture just put that story into relevance. But that was the first thing he did. And Abraham was also known as the father of faith. So the issue is not so much doubt in God or that having doubts from time to time in our situation. The issue is staying in doubt. So the issue is, not taking our doubt to God to help us to increase our faith based on whatever the doubt or the situation is, right? So we can use moments of doubt even in the midst of our faith to advantage. We can bring our doubts to God and we can take it to our knees in prayer and ask God for reassurance and Sometimes we get the word of prophecy. Sometimes it's a scripture. Sometimes it's just his overwhelming presence that basically takes away the doubts and increases our faith, right? Amen. So um, faith, and this is more so, and I'll just read what I have in here and we'll move forward in the interest of time. So the, the truth is at some point, we can all have varying levels of faith. It's not something that we have or we don't have. It's more like it's a process. It's a thing that can either grow or diminish. It can progress. It can regress with each passing day with uh, ups and downs, with the trials and tribulations of life, with setbacks, with disappointment, uh, because faith is an aspect of our relationship with God. It's a product of our walk with God and the constant guide and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So final thing I'll say on this is, faith is not the absence of doubt, but rather faith is believing even the midst of our doubts. And God will help us, amen. So now we've really dived into what faith is. I'll just read some thoughts online, and then we'll move on to works, and then we'll tie the two together. Um, so faith plus plan B, someone said, yes, faith and doubt can coexist. Tough question. I think the key is hearing and knowing the voice of God concerning the situation. Sometimes we can be unsure of what God's saying that's leading us to moments of doubt. Um, yes. Awesome, awesome. 
So we have that. So what about works? So now we've talked about faith and detail. We won't spend so much time on works just so that we can move on. So works. Uh, so I read what I have in the handout. So works, um, the Greek word for works is ergon. I'm 100% sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. If you know Greek, forgive my ignorance um, and pray for me. But it means uh, toil as an effort or occupation by implication, um, means an act or a deed, something you do. So works refers to something we do. Um, sometimes we talk about works of the flesh, then we're using it in a negative term. But works is not necessarily a negative term. Works could also mean good deeds that we do. So now we talked about works. So what is works not? Works is not. So we said we define faith, and we said faith is not and put some things that they're common conceptions of what we think faith is. And so now we've come to works. What is works not? Any comments about that? Yes, Sister Cassandra. Works is not what saves us. Come on now. <laughs> um, it's only Jesus that yes, can save. Absolutely. Thank you. I like that. That's a, that's a common misconception about works. Um, if works saved me, I would not be saved by now because <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Thank God for Jesus and thank God for grace. Works is not what saved us. Um, anything works is not. Works is not. So I have here that God is not measuring our performance to see if our faith is real. So works is not a measure of our faith. So there is a relationship with faith and works, and we'll talk about that, and we'll read um, what the, the text, our main text we haven't read yet, uh, but your measure of works is not a measure of your faith. And the measure of your faith is not a measure of your works. So they're related, they coexist, they're very important, but you cannot look at someone who does the most works and say, this person has the most faith. It does not work that way. God is not measuring our performance or our works to see the measure of our faith or if our faith is real. Works is not a means of salvation, right? Works are important. So good works, as important as they are, they do not produce salvation, Good works are products of salvation, but they do not produce salvation by themselves. Okay. Um, someone said, faith is a state of no return. Believe in God without any doubt. Um, Hebrews on my mind, they believe God will save them. And if God did not save them. Oh, the three Hebrew men on my mind. So, yeah, that's some kind of radical faith. They, their faith in God was so unwavering that when they were thrown into the fire, they went into the attitude that we know that our God will save us. But guess what? Even if he doesn't save us, we still won't bow. He's still God and we'll still put our trust in him. Our faith is, still remains. Yeah. Uh, someone said, works is not people pleasing. I love that. Yeah, people pleasing, <laughs> that's, not, that's not good works at least. So works of the flesh can make people pleasing, but good works is not people pleasing. Okay. In the interest of time, we will move forward actually to our main text for today. Now that we talked a little bit about faith and works, so let's look at the relationship between the two. So someone who is a good reader, can you please read James 2 verse 14 to 26? Um, you can read it in the NLT version actually. James 2, verse uh, 14 to 26. Let me open it on my phone. Any takers, any volunteers to read? 
I said someone who's a good reader, but the, if anybody, anybody here is a good reader, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> we all passed grade school or middle school, so you're a good reader. I have faith in you. <laughs> okay. Thank um, you. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith, faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person, <laughs> person any food or clothing. What good does that do? By itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, you are, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Wow, thank you, sis, for that wonderful reading. So James really unpacked a lot. It's almost like, remember, James was actually writing to Christians here, right? So these are people who already had faith and they believed God. And then basically, but he's saying, I don't see the evidence of your faith. You can't just tell me you have faith if around you there is no fruit, there is no evidence that you actually have faith. And Pastor Hebe was saying earlier, there is the, there's the mental or the belief part of faith. And there is the expressive part of faith. And the way to think about it is faith itself is not complete until both are together. But when you read this for a second, and especially the part where it says Abraham um, believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was shown right with God, not by just what we, not by what we do, not by faith alone. And you read that, and you read Romans uh, 3.28, that says, we're justified by faith alone, and not by works, lest any man could boast. How many people think that just like reading that on the surface without giving it more thought, or bringing other scriptures to sort of explain them together, um, is confusing to you or clashing? I would think at first glance, just reading those two parts, say one is saying, oh, maybe faith and works. And maybe the person is saying works. And maybe, and this is James. And then Paul is saying in Romans uh, 3, and not just Romans 3, Paul in Galatians, um, Romans 4, when he talks about Abraham, said it basically all through the whole chapter that Abraham was made righteous with God, not by his works, but through faith. So like Paul is like hampering uh, faith. Paul is hampering grace. We're saved by grace through faith. And then James is saying, listen, I know you have faith, but where is it? I don't see it. What's going on? So is there, <laughs> do we see, do we see, uh, do we see what is almost like a clash, at least at first glance? Has everyone seen that or is it's just me, right? Yeah. So 
So I'll read what I have here and then we can discuss this a little bit more. So James 2 verse 14 to 26 um, is sometimes used to take out of context, is sometimes taken out of context in an attempt to create a works-based system of righteousness. Uh, but that is contrary to many other passages of scripture. Actually, I, I learned for the first time when I was preparing for this Bible study that actually um, the late Martin Luther King Jr. actually was advocating for this part of James to be taken out of scripture. Really, it was that bad to him because he could not wrap his head around this part of James with what he strongly so believed that faith was by grace that your salvation was by grace through faith. He said, no, this does not make sense that this is. And so he went back to do some other research and trying to say that. So what he did, I mean, and thank God for his life and how God used him mightily. But what he didn't understand was the relationship between the two. So we're, trust me, if you're confused, you're not the first one. Don't worry. Other theologians have been confused as well. But our, our, our prayer is to be enlightened by the end of the Bible study. So I'll continue reading. So James is not saying that our works make us righteous before God. But he's saying that real saving faith is demonstrated by good works, right? So don't be confused by scripture that speaks of both faith and works. It might seem confusing when you read that Paul said in Romans 3, 28, that we're justified by faith without the deeds of the law. But, faith, but James says faith without works is dead. Um, so Paul is speaking to the person who believes that their commitment to following the law or being a good person was so good enough that they did not need salvation in Christ, right? So if there's anybody who could boast about keeping the law to the T, it will actually be Paul, or rather I would say Saul, because this is before his conversion. He believed in the letter of the law so much that he killed other people who were not in line with what he believed was the letter of the law. He was one of the chief of those people who persecuted Christ because he didn't see how he fit into the law. So Paul is now saying that People who believe that it's by the works that they do that didn't need the salvation of Christ. Paul was speaking to them. And then James, on the other hand, now is speaking to that person who is relying on what we call just the mental part of, oh yeah, I just have faith in Christ, but yet we don't see the evidence of that. And questioning, is that faith really alive? Is it really complete? Is it even real to begin with when there is no evidence of the so-called faith that you pro profess, right? So here lies the challenge for today. Um, don't be the person who believes your works will be good enough to attain heaven, right? Or you have a checklist and say, today did I lie? Yesterday I used to lie 15 times during the week. Today has been decreased to five. Next tomorrow I'm hoping for two. Yesterday um, I slapped my brother when he said something bad to me. Today I only looked at him and said something under my breath. Next tomorrow hopefully. So no, don't be that person who is counting your good walks or saying yesterday I went on a mission trip to Brazil. Next time I'm going to Ethiopia. Next time I'm going on 10 mission trips. And using that as a way to, to earn right standing with God because obviously that's not scripture, right? So don't be, but be, and don't be the person who believes that a shallow spiritual decision or what we call a mental head knowledge or something you just casually say, right? Like I have faith that results, but there is no evidence or no fruit results and no change in you is reliable enough, right? So Galatians 5 talks about the fruits of the spirit. When you have something, when you have the Holy Spirit, when you have faith in Christ, a genuine Christian will produce fruit. It's as simple as that, right? So 
going back to works is falling into some example of unbelief because what you're seeing at that time is that we're proclaiming to God that, listen, what you sent Jesus to do on the cross, it's not good enough. It's not complete. I have to top it up with my actions and top it up with the works that I do as a gateway, as a pathway to earn salvation. So questions, I'll pause for questions on what I said or comments or additions so that I want to make sure that there is no confusion. And we'll talk a little bit more about the relationship with faith and works. So that was just to, to summarize or to explain that passage, tying it into other scriptures that talk about being saved by faith, being saved by grace through faith. Um, so any questions or any comments on that? Anything anybody wants to add? And that goes to our online audience too. Uh, Pastor B wants to speak and Pastor Kip. And then we'll come to Javier too. I didn't see your hand earlier. Pastor Kip. <laughs> Ladies first. I like that. <laughs> His mother raised him right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This passage is interesting. You know, I think, you know, every writer, when you're trying to draw a point, you know, drive it in, there's a tendency to be to really like be very uh, stern. So I think this is what James was saying, doing. He was speaking to people who feel, okay, you know, we don't need to do anything. I mean, we don't. So he was trying to drive his message home. But because in the same verse, he made reference to Genesis 15, that, you know, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's not, um, he's not dismissing the fact of the role saving faith plays, that our faith, you know, faith for salvation has its place. He's just trying to really, he's trying to make the point that there has to be fruit. And with Paul, who is really the advocate of salvation by grace, by faith, you know, Galatians and all the scriptures that Paul also wrote is talking about how you live out your salvation. But again, Paul too was very strong on salvation by faith because people, the, some of the Jewish believers, they feel circumcision, all these other things is, we need it. So everyone was just trying to make their case, but to your point, it's a, it's intertwined. Both coexist, coexist. Thank you, Pastor V, for that contribution. Uh, Pastor Kip? I like the part where he gets down to, I think it's verse 22. He says, you see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. So that's how it comes together for me, because he's bringing the two together in relationship and saying that they work together. They're not working in opposition. They're working together. So you have faith, and then that leads to works. They're working together in tandem. So your faith and in, in, in works, they're not separate things. They're, they're, they're working together. And, and I think he, he makes that clear there. He said he, his actions made his faith complete. So it's almost like they work together, but they complete each other. So I think that's the point that James is trying to make. Thank you, Pastor Kip. So let me hear um, Brother Javier and then Pastor Hubie. 
So this is more like a question. Um, so James, like Pastor Kip said, uh, faith and works, they work together. They're on the same line. Could it be possible that Paul, um, because it was more about salvation, that his thought was, it doesn't really matter whether you have good works. God's will was, was, is, and always will be. So does it really matter? I want to say a question and then we'll hear from um, Pastor Hubie. So I think Paul was driving the emphasis on the reason why we have good works. So with Paul's crowd, the people Paul was reaching out to, basically they were saying, listen, like I have good works. I'm the goodest of the goodest of the goodest of the goodest person. And thereby I'm saved. I'm good. Why do I need Jesus? And then Paul was saying, listen, despite all of your good works is not what makes you saved. Actually, even James also agreed. He says, if you fail to keep any of one of the commandments, you fail to keep all. So they're even all on the same page with that. And they were taking it back to the emphasis that the reason why you were saved saved is because you believe in Jesus Christ. And as a fruit of your salvation, because you have Jesus and because you love him, good works is the expression of your faith, is the expression of what you do. But it's not, you don't have good works to be saved. So Paul really, I think, hammered that all through the books that he wrote. And think about John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Never said, but whoever could keep the Ten Commandments would not perish but have everlasting life. But whoever does not murder his brother, whoever gives all his possessions away to the poor, to the poor, right? The key to having everlasting life was their belief in Jesus Christ. So Paul's messages or scriptures or his letters were really emphasizing or driving home that point. Uh, Pastor Hubie. Yeah, I, I, I just want to just piggyback on what Pastor Kip was saying. Yeah. Uh, but first I'll preface it by, by saying that both Paul and, and James really complement each other. Uh, they don't cancel each other out. They definitely uh, complement each other because both present a grace-based salvation. Both Paul, both James. Um, they do not even endorse a works-based salvation. Um, but going back to James's use of Abraham... He uses Abraham to emphasize the fact that Abraham did not merely have a mental assent, right? But he had, he had the internal faith, the internal belief, and it was also expressed and manifested by his actions. He woke up that morning with every intention of sacrificing his son. He led him up the mountain. He bound him to the altar he raised the knife up mid-flight <laughs> on the downstroke. God said, stop. Okay? So in, in, in that regard, James is highlighting the fact that not only did Abraham have faith, but his works proved his faith. His, his faith was tested that day, and he passed the test. Thank you so much, Pastor Hebe. I love that explanation. Um, and then my sister over there has a comment, and then we'll take that and we'll move on. But um, as you were talking about that, even think about the call of Abraham, right? When God called Abraham, he said, take your family, your wife, your children, your cattle, all that you have, and go where? 
to Atlanta, I will show you. He had no idea where he was going. And this is someone who was worthy, wealthy, and prosperous in his own right, where he was. And God is saying, leave all that you know and is familiar to you. And that's what we, that definitely takes faith, right? So the, the story of Abraham is all about faith, not just the belief that he had faith or saying that he had faith. It was backed up by evidence of how he lived his life. For going from, from stepping out to um, going to an unknown land from almost sacrificing his son because God told him to um, even in believing for that son throughout that process. I know he, he, he doubted by laughing in the beginning, but later on he came and said, Lord, if you said it, so shall it be. And he put his faith in God. So Abraham is really the father of faith. <laughs> Slept to me. Yes. Yes, he had that. Um, yes, my sister whose hand was up. Oh, so I was just going to bring out um, in Romans 3 in chapter 3, it's really, um, it really talks about the law. And in verse 20, it says that, you know, no one can ever be made right with God just by following the laws. Mm -hmm. So because of that, Jesus came and, you know, we now have the salvation. So, I mean, I wouldn't personally compare the two. I feel like, you know, if you look at Romans, it's almost like a precursor. It's like, you know, you have Christ. Um, we have the salvation because of Christ. But now that we know him and we're getting to know him, now our works will now emulate what we're, we're learning about Christ. Thank you, my sister. Yeah, so they're, they're, the two are different, but what I want to drive home is that there's a relationship between the two. And the one is an expression of the other. So it starts with faith, but good works are an expression of your faith in God. And I, and I read what I have in the handout concerning the relationship between faith and works. Um, that without works, faith is never seen. <laughs> you just tell me you have faith all day long. <laughs> Where is the evidence of your faith without good works, right? Faith must find expression, and that's what Pastor Hebe was saying earlier as well, through our actions as well as our attitudes. Faith is very dynamic and powerful. Um, it must express itself in very real ways. So someone can profess to be a Christian, but their lives and their priorities indicate otherwise. Um, the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. So the relationship with faith and good works is that your faith in Christ, by the very nature of the faith that you have, must produce good works, right? It's just the nature of true faith. It produces good works. So the statement of faith without works is dead is exactly that. Through, through true faith in Christ will always produce good works. So the Message Bible, if you actually look at that scripture, James 2 verse 14 to 17 says faith without works is god is is god talk without god act <laughs> i like how you put it there so it's all just you talking and nothing to back it up right all god talk and god no god act message bible in that in those same verses it says faith and works fit together hand in glove so they're very intertwined they go together where true faith exists, good works is always naturally expressed. So let me see. Faith expresses itself in works. Um, works are a proof of faith. Um, others' translations in that same scripture we read says, faith without works is funny or fake. Works are expression of your faith. Um, by action, faith finds its full expression. That same, that's that same scripture we read in, in TPT. And we please God by what we do, by, um, 
by what we do and not only what we believe. So we don't earn salvation by what we do, but obedience pleases God. So our works are evidence of our faith. That's the main relationship between faith and work. And I'll just answer one question online and I'll go to Pastor Hubie. Oh, okay, yeah. So someone said, what does the Bible, why does the Bible say that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith? So where do we get this faith from? Is faith, do, how do we get faith? Does faith come by our works? No, right? Faith comes by God from Jesus. That's why he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith because faith is a gift from him. But when you talk about the evidence of faith or how you know that faith exists is some of the fruits of faith that you can see, right? Just when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we had a Bible study that uh, we had talked about a few, a few weeks earlier. And we talked about how do you know that you're growing? How do you know that you're filled with the Spirit, right? You don't see somebody except you have, I mean, you can have a divine revelation from Jesus Christ. And you can see somebody and say they're filled with the Spirit. But other things that you know that someone is filled with the Spirit is that they uh, they have the fruits of the Spirit alive and working in them. And those fruits of the Spirit are in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, um, self-control. Against such there is no law. So how do you see faith, right? Faith is naturally seen by the good works that is expressed through faith. It's not good works don't save us. Good works is not a way to salvation. You cannot earn anything that Jesus did on the cross. You are saved by grace through faith and faith alone. But any real faith would naturally produce good works. And I read, I think Pastor B has um, her hand um, up. So I'll read a scripture while the mic gets to her. So this is Matthew 7, verse 16 to 20. This is the um, Passion Translation. So you can spot them by their action. This is Matthew 7, verse 16 to 20, Passion Translation. This is Jesus saying, you can spot them by their actions for the fruits of their character will be obvious. You won't find sweet grapes hanging on a thorn bush. And you will never pick good fruit from a tumbleweed. So if the tree is good, it will produce good fruit. And if the tree is bad, it will bear only rotten fruit and deserves to be cut down and burned. You will know them by the obvious fruit of their lives and their ministries. So think about when we think about faith. The, 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 the works are just an expression of faith. And that's what good works are. And so, Pastor B, you had a comment? Mm. Just a quick comment. Um, again, talking about Paul and James, just in a simple way. Paul is addressing saving faith. And James is addressing living faith. So just a very simple way, so people don't um, start confusing, you know, all the teachings of Paul and is it so, we, is, is James contradicting Paul? No, no, no. That's just a simple way to take it that Paul is addressing saving faith and James is addressing living, how, how you live out your salvation. It's by faith. And just one example that can resonate, some believers, they just believe... Um, because I'm a child of God, it will pay my bills. I just put my bills. Because I, I'm a child of God, it will pay my bills. But the same God expects us to work. I think James even addressed this later. You need to get out. Believe God, it will give you a job. So that's just, you need to live it out. You need to work in faith. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pastor B, for that, um, for, for that addition. So I'll move on in the interest of time, but if you have questions, uh, feel free to raise your hand. So again, the emphasis is that we are saved. Uh, I had a question early on, but I'll skip it in the interest of time. So are we saved by faith or are we saved by good works? Are we saved by faith and good works mixed together? There should be no confusion. We're saved by faith and faith alone. So we are justified by faith alone. Our good works do not save us. Our good works are a fruit of our salvation. Um, there could be evidence on the natural that we have been saved because naturally we produce good works. Ephesians uh, 2 verse 10 says, But you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ to do good works, which he has ordained for you to do. Right? So we are created in God to do good works. Um, so... James saying that faith without works is dead is not saying that we're justified by works or even faith plus works. Rather, what he's saying is that the true faith will always produce good works. And as we, work by, as we walk by the Spirit, in the Spirit, he will produce his fruit in our lives naturally. Amen. Okay, so a quick question. And I know my, my time is coming up, but I, I'll throw this question as we, we, we go to the last segment. So, is being saved, now that we've established so that there's no confusion that we're all saved by grace through faith, is that an excuse to sin? Because the first time when you tell anybody who has like a work-believing mentality, when you counter and you show them the scripture and you tell them they're saved by grace, the first thing they want to say, what does that mean? So that means I can be saved by grace through faith and then I could go on with my sinful life and there are no consequences to it since I'm already saved there's a scripture that talks about this. Oh, my computer is dead. There's a scripture that talks about this. Faith, being saved by grace through faith, is that an excuse to sin? Yes. Anybody, any thoughts on that? I'm going to put on YouTube on my phone since my computer decided to go off. Um, any thoughts on that? Is being saved by grace through faith an excuse to live a sinful life? Or have you heard people who've had that kind of mentality or those kind of questions? And when they come to you, what do you tell them? <laughs> you tell them no and then just walk away. <laughs> brother, have you? <laughs> You're like, no, no, brother. And then walk away. <laughs> so, no, it's not an excuse. Um, however, someone, you know, we're all not perfect. So you could sin um, and repent you can sin again and still have your heart um, in the right place because we're not perfect. Um, I think if you continue to sin and it becomes um, a norm for you, then you're really, your heart is not in the right place. But you can sin the very same sin a few times or, you know, two or three times and still have a heavy heart, you know, so, because we're not perfect. Yeah, thank you, Brother Javier. Any other comments on that as we move on? Can someone read Romans 6, verse uh, 15 to 16, the Passion Translation, if you have that open? Uh, quickly, Romans 6, verse um, 15 to 16, the Passion Translation. So definitely grace is not a license to sin. Anybody, any reader that we have... Uh, Give it to, yeah, Sister Cassandra is going to help us with that. Okay, so Romans 6, 15 to 16 in the Passion Translation says, What are we to do then? 
Should we sin to our heart's content since there is no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master, and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Cassandra. I feel like I don't have anything else to add to that. That was Paul said that so beautifully. Yeah. Yes, she's a good reader. Yeah. So next time when I'm asking for a good reader, Sister Cassandra, she'll be the first to volunteer herself. <laughs> okay. So I'll move on to the last segment. So we talked about faith. We talked about works. We talked about the relationship between faith and works. But I, I do want to end on this because I want us to realize that good works are actually important. I mean, I just read the scripture, Ephesians 2.10, about being created by, by God to do good works for his masterpiece. Good works actually matter to God. So we're saved by faith through grace, right? Less than men who boast were faith was saved by what Jesus by believing what Jesus did on the cross uh, but that does not mean that we should not invest in doing good works or that God does not care about the good works that we do and so I have some of the reasons that I put here about why good works matter to God so good works glorify God right in this dark world when we do good works people see God at work in us and give him glory, right? In Matthew, that scripture says, let your light shine before men so people might see your good works and give glory to God in heaven, right? Good works prove our evidence, natural evidence that we have been saved because you can only be beer, you can only have fruit of what is already abiding on the inside of you. So what is the, the physical, the natural evidence that you're in Christ and follow Christ if you don't live out your life according to his nature, right? So good works are important. They don't save you, but we are saved to do good works, okay? Um, number three, good works are evidence of our love for God. John 14, verse 15, it says, if you obey me, simple, you will keep my commandments. It's as simple as that, right? Jesus is saying, what's the proof? It's not just by saying, God, I love you, I love you, you're the best things ever happened to me. You say that that's all well and good. The evidence that you actually love me is you obeying me, telling you, doing what I tell you to do. Um, good works bless others and build up the body of Christ. So one of the reasons Abraham, main reason why Abraham was blessed, God said to him, he says, I will bless you so that what will happen, you will be a blessing. So that's why we do good works, so that other people will be blessed. Good works, believe it or not, one day will be rewarded. They don't take you to heaven, but there is a reward for doing good works. Someone like that, they're like, yes, 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 I want my reward. Some people want their 10 mansions when they go to heaven. Some want 20. I've heard people say all sorts. But in, in Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, that's the scripture reference for that, um, that God will reward his people according to their works. That doesn't mean that, of course, that we are saved by our works. We've said that over and over again, but I'm saying that so that no one leaves here with any thought of that. You know, that is really clear. Um, it means that, that their works are evidence or proof of our salvation and they'll be rewarded. So good works serve people. People are dear to God. That's number eight. 
Number nine is a scripture we've said several times already. Ephesians 2 verse 10, we were created. One of our purposes on this earth. Otherwise, when you were saved, guess what would have happened? God would have said, I love you so much. Come join me in heaven, right? right? You are now saved. Come welcome home, my child. But there's a reason why you have a purpose and an assignment on this earth. It's to do good works. And probably one of my favorite of all, in doing good works, what do we do? We reflect Christ. We follow in his footsteps of doing good works. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So that was one of Jesus' primary assignments on earth, to go about doing good works. And we who are made in his image, we should also reflect Christ and follow in his examples um, of doing good works. Amen, amen. Um, anybody have any questions as we round up today? Any questions about anything I've said? Any last comments? I know um, they already given, they, I have a negative timer on the clock, but so <laughs> that's okay. If you have any questions, I'll take it real quick. Otherwise, we'll just wrap up. Um, so no questions, right? I don't see any questions online either. That's great. That means everything was clearly understood. That's what I believe. So I'll wrap up with this conclusion I wrote down. So in our text today, um, James is basically fighting for the proper place of works in the life of the believer with the evidence, with the emphasis that claims of faith needs to be proven by the evidence of one's life, right? That there's a relationship between the two. That if we understand that faith in Christ as the doorway to salvation, then we can see the value of works in what Paul was saying and what James was saying. So before we, we walk through the doorway of our faith in Christ, right, works will not save. But however, after we walk through the doorway of our faith in Christ, works are the evidence, they're the natural evidence, they're the natural fruit of our commitment to God and his ways. Good works I'm referring to, not works of the flesh. That goes without saying. So the, the main difference is in his purpose. We can never be saved by good works, but we cannot be saved without them. Meaning that you cannot have true salvation if your life does not display good works. And I hope that's clear. God bless you all. Amen, amen, amen. So that's, um, that's um, part five of our study today um, in the book of James, halfway through our study, the relationship between faith and works. And my prayer is that regardless of what we said, what we discussed, what was taught about the scriptures that we read, that the Holy Spirit really would just expand his word in your hearts as you go about your week today, as you go about the rest of the year, as you go about your month, because he's the one who would reveal the word of God to you in the way that you best understand it so that God will be glorified. And that's my prayer for every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before I get chased out of here, it's time for a tithes and offering. Um, here in Agape House of Worship, we give because we love God, right? We don't give out of compulsion. So um, if anybody wants to give, there are different ways that we give here. You can text to give. Um, there is an app, uh, AHAL app. We have Cash App. We have Zelle. We have physical envelopes at both corners uh, of the church in the front and in the back. And there are ways to give are listed on the screen if you're first time here and you want to give. Um, for anyone who joined us for the first time again, we welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for choosing to spend your evening with us. If you're online or here in person and you're joining us for online for the first time for Bible study, please fill out um, our guest form at 
www.ahowfc.org forward slash connect just so that we can reach out to you we can love on you we'll love to get connected with you basically and just show your agape hospitality so we'll love for you to do that um, upcoming agendas this week. So this Sunday actually is a healthcare Sunday. I'm excited about that. The healthcare ministry is really working hard um, be, be behind the scenes to basically find ways to remind us as a church family that God really cares about our body, you know, and educate us how we can do right by our bodies so that we can really present our bodies as a reasonable sacrifice, you know. Uh, so, so, so please invite your friends, your family members uh, for healthcare Sunday this Sunday. And next week we will be continuing continuing um, next week, Wednesday, in our Bible study series in the book of James, we have five more weeks to go. So part six is next week. The title was Taming the Tongue. That'll be a very good one, you know? <laughs> you can't imagine so much questions and discussions to, to, to follow that. But you can read ahead. So in the handout today, you have the text we'll be studying. is James 3, verse 1 to 12. So you can read it. Read it this week as you go home. Read it in various translations. Spend time in prayer as you read it. Meditate on that word so that you can come and really we can have an interactive Bible study session. So um, God bless you. And so let them just say a quick prayer as we close out. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you because you are such a good God. You are a faithful God. Your love, your goodness, your mercy is everlasting and endures forever. Thank you for an awesome time in your presence this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together um, with brothers and sisters in Christ, just learning from you and listening to what you have to say today. And Lord, we ask, oh God, that as we go, Lord, you help us to put in practice everything that we have learned in the name of Jesus. And that Holy Spirit, you just make the remor of this word alive in our hearts, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Because we thank you because you have created us to do good works and you'll help us, oh Holy Spirit.